Well, happy Mother's Day to you all. Glad you are all here, especially those of you who are moms. We are so glad you're here. Welcome. And we want to give thanks for you today. Uh, we want to thank you for bringing all of us into this world and, uh, and your children, obviously. Um, not obvious. Anyway, uh, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for our moms. And uh, it's no mistake, really, that God himself actually uh, refers to motherhood when he talks about uh, the ways he loves and cares for us. Because it is one of the greatest examples in our everyday lives when you think about it. How else do you know love uh, other than from your mother? So often we hear stories and we have our own experiences of moms who make incredible sacrifices for their children, who freely give of themselves, who lay down their lives for their kids and for their families. It's a beautiful echo of God's love for us. In fact, God thought it was so important that he made sure to emphasize it in the way that he came to us. Jesus was born just like all of us, and he experienced all of the blessings and joys of having a mother. He also experienced all the uh, anxiety and worry of a mother, too, we actually see in Scripture. And that may not have been as joyful for him, but still very, very important, right? How do we know our moms really love us? It's because they worry, you know? And um, Jesus loved his mother, Mary. And he was concerned for her, we see, all the way to the cross. He speaks of her and to her on the cross. And so we want to celebrate our moms today. And uh, what better day to do this, what better way to do this, than by looking at the Incarnation, which is where we are in the Nicene Creed. This series that we're in, we believe we are walking through the Creed, and we're at the section where we hear about Jesus becoming human. It's the reason why we're singing these Christmas songs that Jake told you about, the Incarnation. And uh, we're remembering that glorious day when Mary became a mom and when Jesus was born. As we've walked through the creed so far, and as we will continue to, we've been hearing about what we believe and why we believe it. This is a statement about what we believe, and we're growing in our understanding of why we make these statements. Why do we believe this? These are the foundational, foundational principles of our Christian faith uh, contained in our creed. And as we've heard, as we've gone through it, our faith is about God. Pretty simple. Uh, God, who he is, and what he has done for us. He is the triune God. That's what the creed tells us. One God in three persons. And the creed states our core beliefs about each person. Just walks right through them. So far we've heard about God the Father. And now we're in our second week about God the Son, Jesus. And we will hear uh, in a little while about God the Holy Spirit. That will fall on Pentecost. And last week, uh, when we looked at our first section on Jesus, we really were focused on his divinity, on the fact that Jesus is God, his divine nature. He always was God, and he always will be God. We heard Isaiah and Paul and John in our readings last week all state the fact that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. He is God the Son. He was not created by God, 
but rather he is the creator. He is the word, John calls him. He is the light. And this was the main issue facing the church at the time when they developed the creed back in 325 A.D. And so the creed's very careful to articulate this biblical fact. We've established that one. Jesus is fully God. Now the other side to that question of who Jesus is, what, uh, what he's like, what he's about, it has to do with his humanity. And so we've established that he's God, but one of the other dangers is that you might get so carried away talking about his divinity that you overemphasize it over against his humanity. You kind of downplay his humanity. We might even dismiss it at some point. And here we come again to another heresy. That's what the creed is really about. It's helping us to reject false beliefs about God and Jesus and the Spirit and to know the right things that we believe. And this was another heresy that was around that time in 300, and it's called docetism. Docetism was the belief that Jesus just appeared to be human. He just appeared to be. He just kind of seemed human, but he actually wasn't. And um, it's the thinking that he was more kind of like Brad Pitt in, um, in Meet Joe Black. You guys remember Meet Joe Black? So Meet Joe Black is from 1998, and uh, he was, Brad Pitt's character uh, was Death, the Grim Reaper, right? And the Grim Reaper in that movie decides to have a little experiment, kind of go on a vacation from his killing people all the time, and he comes to Earth. He takes the body of somebody who just recently died that he just recently took, it was Brad Pitt, and uh, of course, you know, wise choice, if you've got to be somebody... Might as well be Brad Pitt. Anyhow, he comes and he takes on Brad Pitt, his body, and uh, comes to Earth, and he kind of messes with Anthony Hopkins' life and uh, falls in love with his daughter, obviously. It's all typical Hollywood stuff. How would you like that? Bring home that boy to mom and dad. Here's death. Anyhow, um, he didn't actually become human, though, in that movie. He just took on the appearance of humanity. He put on his human suit, right? It reminds me of another movie. You're probably all thinking of it. I'm sure you are. This one's from 1997, Men in Black. You guys remember Men in Black? All right. I think it's Will Smith's funniest movie, hands down. But anyhow, in that movie, you remember the giant alien cockroach or the alien palmetto bug, right? Comes from space and crashes on Earth on this farm, and uh, he kills this ugly farmer named Edgar. And then he goes around New York in his brand new Edgar suit. He puts on his skin and looks kind of like a human, but he puts on Edgar's uh, skin. It's very gross, but hey. And uh, he's disguised as a human, so he can wander around New York looking for his galaxy. Anyway, you have to see the movie. If you haven't seen Men in Black, go watch it. That's your homework. But um, the whole point is that God is not like this. Jesus was not like this. There you go. Uh, You know, he wasn't just taking on the appearance of humanity. It's understandable that the church would struggle with this because if you think to many other religions, specifically the Greeks, which they were immersed around uh, the Greek culture there, around the Mediterranean, the ancient Greeks had lots of stories of their gods coming down from, you know, Mount Olympus or whatever and taking on the appearance of humans so that they could mess around in humanity's lives, you know? 
but they actually didn't become human. You know, Zeus does this a couple times. But they never actually take on human nature. They were just pretending to be. And this is not so with Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. This is the miracle of the Incarnation. And our creed is careful to emphasize it right alongside his divinity. So it establishes divinity, and then it goes to his humanity, which I think is one of our slides, Nicole, if you put it up there. There it is. This is the section where it emphasizes Jesus' humanity, where these two natures come together. As we see here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. And we heard it in our gospel reading. This is what the angel of the Lord said to Joseph in his dream, right? He said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the divinity, God, and Mary is the humanity. And they both exist together in Jesus. And it's a, it's a miracle, obviously. We don't fully understand how this works. <laughs> but we actually see... Uh, echoes of it, glimmers of this uh, idea of two things coming together and existing in one every time you look in the mirror. You are a combination of your parents. You know, their DNA dwells in you. And there's two different people that have somehow come together and make one. Obviously with Jesus, it is way more special and miraculous, (laughs) but it's important to understand it in the context of our actual human life, because that's how God decided to do it. He did it this way. He designed the whole process, right, of conception. It was his idea, how humans would come to be. And he validates it, and he validates all of the physical world by coming into it and by actually using uh, the ways he he built humans normally. He uses that same thing to come into the world as Jesus. It shows that our matter matters. You know, it's, he's not some disembodied spiritual thing. And that's a temptation often, you know, where we want to think about everything. So, oh, we just want to be very spiritual. People say that all the time. I'm, some, I'm spiritual. You know, we want to transcend this crude uh, matter. That's Yoda said that. I don't know if you remember that in Star Wars. But uh, he said that to Luke. You know, it's this idea that we need to get out of this material world. And God is saying, no, 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 I made all of this. I think it's important. And this is our faith. Our faith is really earthy, and it is tangible. Our God was really born, he really lived, he really breathed, he really bled, and he really died, and he really rose from the grave. And we still have this in our faith today. We have baptism where we have the water. It's tangible. And we have communion where we have the bread and the wine. We have a tangible faith, a grounded faith. So we've heard the what, okay? So what, we're learning what we believe. We believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man. But why does that matter? We've been laying the foundation in our first two weeks that the God we believe in wants to be known. He wants us to know him. In addition to validating the physical universe that we've just heard about, validating his creation, he wants his creation to know who he is. He reveals himself, which is very good news, as we've established, because there's no way we could really know him if he didn't do that. 
We would always be asking questions and wondering about him. Who is this God? What's he like? How could all of this be here? But thankfully, God has spoken. And we heard John last week refer to Jesus as the Word. That Jesus is God's full revelation, his full communication to us. He is God's Word incarnate. He's self-disclosing. And he wants us to know him. And the main way he wants us to know him is by knowing Jesus. And Jesus said that. If you remember last week, he said, Because you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God didn't want to come and hide out amongst us like Joe Black. You know, he didn't want to come and hide out amongst us like the Greek gods. He wasn't coming in disguise. He came to be known. He wanted us to see him for who he really is. He didn't have to make any of us in the first place. If you just think about that for a moment. He didn't have to create anything. He didn't have to give us personalities or dreams or desires, but he did because he wanted to. He's a generous, creative God. He wanted to be in relationship with each of us. It's important to remember that God actually wanted us. That's why he created us in the first place. And we see in his incarnation that full bore, his desire for us. We actually say at the beginning of our communion prayer every week, When you made us for yourself. That's how we open it up. God made us so that we might be known, might know him and be known by him. And when we broke that relationship, he wanted us back. And so he came for us. And that's what we're hearing today. That's the first phrase in this section of the creed, the answer to the why. Why the incarnation? Why did Jesus become fully man? For us and for our salvation. He came to save us because he wants us. And that's the other part of what the angel said to Joseph in the dream. Remember, he says, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus' name actually means. It means God saves. This is why he came. This is why he was born. This is why he had a mother just like all of us. It was so that he could save all of us, even his own mom from brokenness. And he took on all that we are so that he could save all that we are. This is something that Gregory of Nazianzus, which you guys all know, I know, uh, Gregory was the Archbishop of Constantinople when they were finalizing the creed, actually. And uh, he famously said, what is not assumed is not healed. What is not assumed is not healed. So he's saying that means Jesus needed to take on our full humanity, our body, mind, and soul, so that he could heal humanity fully. He could heal every aspect of us. And that's very good news. Because it means that there is not one part of you that he has not saved. There's not one part of you that is somehow uh, too big for him. Or it's too broken for him. There's not one part of you that is somehow outside of his grace or outside of his reach. Every single part of you is under his authority and every single part of you is under his grace. He's fully assumed all of it. There are two moments in the Gospels where we see the triune God explicitly, okay? Where we see all three persons working at the same time. 
And the first is here at the Incarnation. We hear God the Father speak through the angel of the Lord, telling Joseph and then also Mary in Luke's Gospel uh, what he's doing. He lets them know why this is happening. You know, he says, I'm sending my son to save you. And then we see God the Holy Spirit come upon Mary. And he came upon Mary and conceived Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, coming into the world as a baby to live and die and rise again for us. All three persons of God that we affirm in the Creed working together to fulfill the promise that we heard in our passage from Genesis today. In that passage, we hear God say to the serpent when he's laying down the judgment from sin, and he says that the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head or bruise your head, which is a fatal blow, and you'll strike his heel, implying that it won't be fatal completely. So it's this prophecy that's right at the beginning of the book that God tells us he's going to send Jesus. And this is what he's showing us in the incarnation, that he's actually making good on his promises. All three persons in the Trinity are saying, this is what we've come to do. We promised that Satan would not win, and we promised that sin would not win. And we're here to make sure about it. And the second moment we see all three persons in the Gospels of the Trinity at work is at Jesus' baptism. And that's the beginning of his ministry. We see Jesus, God the Son, he's in the river, and he's being baptized by John. And then we see God the Holy Spirit descend upon him in the form of a dove. And then we hear the voice of the Father again, audibly saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And it's all to emphasize the same thing that we see emphasized in the Incarnation, that God is going to keep his promise to save us. All three persons of the Trinity are working together. They're united for us and for our salvation. Jesus makes this very public display at his baptism that he will indeed stand with us and for us. It's the moment that the Incarnation that we're talking about today pointed to. It points to the fact that he's going to be our substitute He didn't need to be baptized, after all. Jesus was not a sinner. That's what Scripture tells us. And baptism is for sinners. John's was for the repentance of sinners. Jesus chose to be baptized because he wanted to show us that he would be fully one of us, that he is on our side, that he is assuming everything, that he was going to align himself with the weak and the broken. That's what's happening. And it makes me think, of course, of another movie. And um, this time, it's a 1980s movie, because I just love the 80s and the 90s, apparently. Can't get out of them. But uh, this one's 85, and Johnny Keyes is here today, which I'm really glad about, because he will love this. This is Goonies, all right? (laughs) The movie Goonies, if you've seen it, uh, it's an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, that's your other homework. Men in Black... Goonies. Um, In Goonies, there's this girl named Andy, all right? And Andy is a rich, popular girl. She is the cheerleader, and she's dating the school jock, you know, who's also rich and popular. And his name happens to be Troy, of course. What is it about the name Troy that just screams jerk? I I feel bad for all of my friends who are Troys. It's so sad. 
It's either Troy or Chad. If you want to have a rich jerk in a movie, Troy or Chad. Anyhow, I, I, one of my best friends is named Chad, and he's not a rich jerk. I'm just telling you, what the, this is what Hollywood does. So anyhow, Andy, this girl Andy, gets caught up in this adventure with the Goonies. And the Goonies is basically a group of nerdy misfits, okay? And they are not rich, and they are not popular. And they find a treasure map. And they end up on this wild, you know, hunt for this treasure. And they're in these series of caves and tunnels under their town. And they come upon the town's wishing well at one point. And this scene is just dripping with metaphorical meaning here. And Andy and the Goonies are at the bottom of the well, right? They're down in the dark cave at the bottom of the well. And Troy, her studly boyfriend, just happens to be at the top of the well. And he can save them all with his bucket. If you, can, if you just Google Troy's bucket, you'll see all these scenes come up. Anyhow, he can save them with his bucket. And Andy is about to get in the bucket to go up to Troy, to ascend back to Troy, to her life of wealth and privilege and kind of basic snobbery. But she decides not to. She instead takes off her, his Letterman sweater, which she's been wearing the whole Uh, movie, and she puts that on the bucket and sends that up. And she decides to stay down in the dark cave with the Goonies. And Troy angrily yells out, Andy, you Goonie! You know? He He knows the decision that she's made. She has thrown her lot in with the Goonies. And, uh, the losers, the poor, the weak. She has chosen to become one of them. And you didn't know it, but this is all about the incarnation and Jesus' baptism. I mean, that's what it is. It is just dripping with it, literally, because it's at the bottom of this well, and there's all this water pouring down on them. It's, it's Jesus' baptism. The imagery is all there. But this is what Jesus does with us, okay? He says, I'm with them. I'm a goonie. I am a loser with them. I am going to be weak with them. I will be poor with them. It's what Matthew reminds us of when he tells us his other name, Emmanuel which means God with us. Instead of seeing an angry Troy, you know, that wished Andy would rejoin him above where everybody's good-looking and clean and rich and everything, instead of seeing that, we see God in his fullness celebrating what Jesus is doing. All three people, all three persons of the Trinity celebrating Jesus saying, I am with them. This is why I came. I am uniting myself with them. I am identifying myself with them. The Spirit descends upon him as a visible sign of God's blessing, and then the Father proclaims his pleasure for his Son from heaven. Because the Trinity, the triune God, our one God in three persons, wants us back. That's why the Incarnation matters. Because he came to save us. He came as a man to be fully united with us. He did it so that you can know that he is on your side. Jesus did it so that you can know that he's not far off. He's not distant, you know, sitting on some cloud or out on some planet somewhere. He's rather close at hand. He did it so you can know that he understands everything that you go through because he walked through it too. He did it so that you can know that you're never alone in your suffering. He's been there, and he's actually with you now. That's his name. God is with you. 
He did it so, most importantly, that you can know he has taken that suffering upon himself. God is with you, and he is for you. That's what his incarnation and his baptism proclaimed to us, that he came to take our sins, that he threw his lot in with us and was baptized like a sinner because he intended to become sin for you and me. He came to take it all on the cross, once and for all, so that we might be set free, so that you might be set free. As Gregory said, what is not assumed is not healed. And he has assumed it all. He has taken every last bit, every bit of pain that you've suffered or that you've caused, he has taken. He is fully God. He is fully man. And he took it all so that he could heal it all. That's the gospel to you today. That Jesus Christ has healed it all by dying a real death for you and me. And being raised again, real, in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the truth. Of your incarnation, this incredible gift that you came to be one of us so that you might actually take all of the pain, all of the brokenness, all of the things uh, that we have suffered and that we've caused. You've taken it and you've dealt with it once and for all. Thank you. Lord, we ask that you would keep this firmly fixed in our minds this week. And as we go out from here, I pray that you would use us to be messengers of this good news, that we would share the good news that you came and lived and died for us, that you are fully God and fully man, and you've saved us from our sin. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.